I'm thankful for the opportunity to come share the word with y'all this morning. Um, it's, it's something that I always find such a great time uh, just to dive in the word of God and prepare. And if you don't know me, my name's Kevin. I have uh, the privilege of serving our ministries here. So um, youth, see kids, sisterhood, brotherhood. Our, our, I, I love watching these ministries because I get to watch so many people use their talents and their gifts for the Lord. Um, so many people um, serve all through the church that you may not see in our outreach department and are like, and, and just there's so much going on that you just might not see. On a Sunday, the church is living and active, and it's such a great thing to be a part of because, you know, we, we can get into a moment like this and look on stage and say, oh, that's the church. No, that that's just part of the face we put on every single week. The, the church is all of us um, using our talents and gifts for the Lord. So it's such a great thing to be a part of. Um, and it's a great season for us. It's, it's an exciting time for us. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Kevin, but a lot of you might just know me as like, hey, where's Katie? Um, that's how I'm usually greeted these days. Um, we are three weeks away from the birth of our first child. So when people see me, they're like, how's she doing? Um, and it's been such a fun time to prepare um, we are in week two of our No Other Name series as a church. As, a, as Celebration Orange Park as a location, we're also celebrating 20 years of being here. And that's a big deal, 20 years. Like, we're grown adults here as a church. Like, so make sure you stop and take some pictures. And there's shirts out there that say 20 years on them. Because, like, that's not something that we just take for granted. Like, so many people have come and gone in the last 20 years, and I believe every one of them's left um, knowing a little bit more about the Lord. And that's exciting to be a part of. So, 20 years of testimonies. Let's jump into this word. We're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 3. Verse 13, I'm going to give you a chance to flip there. I hope y'all are like ready to sit in and be here for a while because my team's on a bye week. I got all day. Um, I'm a Dolphins fan. We don't play today. So yeah, we, we got time. I'm sorry, Jaguar fans. Um, I'm just kidding. I won't do that to you. All right, Exodus chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what's his name? What should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. If you're taking notes today, I've entitled this message, 
No introduction necessary. No introduction necessary. Because this wasn't, this wasn't two strangers meeting. This wasn't two strangers who didn't know each other meeting for the first time. No, God was there with his people. The I am was there with his people every step of everything they've been through for 400 years in slavery. God was there. He is the I am. And he did not need an introduction to Moses. So let's, let's pray. Let's thank God for his word today. And I believe a lot of what's carried on over in worship is going to carry on in this message. That as we prayed for chains to be set free, when we look at who he is and, and the name he gave us, it's, it's the, there's so much power in the name that we're going to be able to keep those chains off. So let's, let's, let's thank him for the word of God. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and, act, and active. Your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and it is a light unto our path. As David said, I'm, I've hidden your word in my heart. Lord, we thank you that the grass may wither and the flowers may fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, TJ. Come on. Worship was good this morning. You all right? We thank, we thank them for all the hard work they do preparing for us. Okay. So I, as, I, as I mentioned, we're three weeks away from the birth of our son, and that created a challenge that I didn't expect. I could have never expected how hard it is to come up with a name. Because, listen, we've named our, our, our pup. Like, we, we named her. I named it after one of my favorite football players. Um, well, acted the current, at the time, quarterback of the Miami Hurricanes, Brad Kaya. Kaya was such a good dog name, and, like, that was easy to come up with. We turned on the TV. That was a player I liked. That's the dog's name. Katie wouldn't let me do that with this kid. <laughs> I brought up so many, like, Daniel Marino Crowley was a great name. Hurricane Crowley, like, that's a name with power and authority. She wouldn't let me do it. So, like, we spent so long picking a, a name. And it's an intimidating process because whatever name we come up with, this kid has to carry that name its whole life. Like, you ever meet somebody and they say their name and you're just like, ah, sorry. <laughs> I'm sure your parents loved you. They just got this one wrong whatever name we come with like that's the name this our, our kid's gonna have for the rest of his life like he doesn't get to you know down the road just say I mean some 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 people do I guess but for the most part the names we get is just gonna stick with us for the rest of our life and here's something that I didn't expect when it comes to a name there was names we'd say that, if I'm honest, that's a good name. But when I heard it, I'm like, no. I know that person. We're not naming our son's name after them. Like, 
as soon, there were so many names. It's, it's, it's illogical. Like, that makes no sense. That as soon as I hear a name, I'm like, no, I didn't like that person. We're not, we're not going with that name. But it's something, it's like when we hear a name, it links a person to us. It makes no sense for me to hear a name, and even though it's a good name, to just be like, nah, not that one. That person's crazy. But names carry weight, and they set expectation. Moses had this moment with God, and he's trying to set expectations for, for what's to come. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what's his name? What do I tell them? Isn't that an interesting question? Because like, it seems like the answer's in the question itself. Suppose I go to them and I say, hey, the God of your fathers has sent me. Well, what's his name? The God of your fathers. Like, they knew this God. It was, it was the God of their fathers. Like, this wasn't just a, a random God that they've never heard of. No, he, in the name, he's saying the God of your fathers. The God that has, has made you a people. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, their forefathers. He's saying, well, if I tell them that, they're going to want a name. That'd be like me coming to you and like, hey, um, if I go to these parents and I ask them their son's name, like, or I tell them their son's speaking, they're going to want his name. Like, no, they know who their son is. Like, they, the Israelites knew who their God was. And you can see this evidence of this, like, they knew who the Lord was. So when Moses comes to them and he says, what's, they're going to need a name. But I think the reason you see this is because the God of their fathers was a long time ago. In fact, the stories from the God of the fathers was a long time ago. Where Moses is now is hundreds of years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was all the past. The Israelites now find them in themselves in slavery to Egypt... And now God shows up. So Moses, Moses is saying like, hey, um, I know you're the God of the past. I know you're the God of our forefathers and all that. That's good. But who are you now? Where have you been for 400 years? And God, God says, I am. I am. Moses was wondering was wondering how do I introduce a God that's from the past and the Lord redirects him to the current he says all they need to know is I am I am is an active name that is not a name from the past I am is the God that was there with them this entire 400 year span He's, he said, I've heard the cries of my people, I've heard the suffering of my people, and I've been with them the entire time. I am. I am not past. I am. Like, that's an active, present name. This morning we came to the altar, 
And as I'm praying for people, it's just that reminder that he's the God that heard their cries. When they thought he was distant, when they, when they thought he was living in the stories of the past, he's the God of the present. And he heard their cries in the moment. There's, there's three things that I want to focus on that I think we can learn from this encounter to remember about our God. And number one, he's the God who is. We read stories from scripture that happened over 2,000 years ago. And we hear testimonies from our elders who went before us and miracles and revivals that's happened through our country. And we hear those things and it, if we're not careful, it can all seem like it's in the past. And we're in this kind of like waiting period. Like, well, God, we know you did things in the past. And we know you're going to come again and you're going to make things right. But here we are in the middle of that. And you could, you could live a life believing and knowing who God is, but not expecting him. The Israelites knew who God was, but they weren't expecting him in the moment. Moses knew who God was, but he wasn't expecting him in this burning bush. The God of our fathers, but what? What, what's his name? Because I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to see you here. This is the same mindset that was in Jesus' day when Jesus came onto the scene. They called it like the silent era because the prophets had stopped prophesying. The Old Testament, the books had stopped being written. New scripture wasn't happening. The prophets were being quiet. The kings were in the past. And now they were just waiting. And they knew the stories and they knew the scriptures, but they weren't expecting Jesus. And Jesus entered the earth and lived among them and they weren't expecting him. Because they knew the God of their fathers, but they didn't know the God who is. We can have the same mindset if we're not careful. But we got to remember he's not the God who was. He's the God who is. And I think, I think the reason it's so easy for us to have the mindset of the God who was is because if we're honest as people, we get in the same mindset towards ourselves. Think of, think of the stories and the way we describe ourselves. Oh, I was crazy back then. I, oh, man, you should have seen me back then. I, I was outgoing then. Like, I, 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 did, I did challenging things back then. I, did, I, I, I really put myself out there back then. I was social back then. And a lot of the ways we even begin to talk about ourselves is like, you should have knew me when. It really becomes about who we were. And if we're not careful, we'll become the people who were serving the God who was. But he's the God who is, and he says, you are. He meets Moses at this burning bush, and he says, Moses, I'm sending you. You're going to speak for me. Oh, you know, I've, I killed a man back in Egypt, and I'm out here running from that. Moses, you are the one I'm sending Oh, but I'm, I'm not good 
with speaking. Like, you really should find Moses, you are the one I'm sending. He's the God who is, and we're the people who are. He says, he says anyone who puts their hands to the plow but looks backwards is not fit for the kingdom. We can't be the people that live in the past. He's got something for us today. He's the God who is, and because he is, and we still are. Our best days, our biggest impact could be ahead of us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the guys out here. I'd love to see you in brotherhood this week. Because we're going to talk about this concept of, of just being stuck where we're at and, and kind of living on idol and just kind of getting by. Our, our, our days where we stepped up to the challenge, like all those things, you know, that's, that's who we are. Now we're just trying to kind of get comfortable. Why do we live in the past? Because at some point in our life, comfort becomes so important to us. Comfort becomes something that if we could just get comfortable a little bit. Life's stressful, so let's seek out comfort all that we can. And, and you know what happens in comfort? Our knees get achy, our bones get set in place, and all of a sudden we, can't, we don't want to go do new things because, man, that's painful. Comfort is bad for our faith. Don't you think it's weird that Peter's like, hey, take joy when you face all kinds of trials and tests. Take joy in that. Like, Peter, that makes no sense. Maybe Peter knew that comfort is bad for our faith. That if I'm, if I'm good with just staying where I'm at, my faith is going to die. Why? Because if I'm, if I'm good with where I'm at, I don't have to have faith. If I'm not striving for what's ahead, like Paul talked about, running the race to win the prize. If I'm not striving, if I'm not believing that God can use me tomorrow and today, if I'm not believing that, that God still wants me to have an impact on those around me and have influence where I'm at, if I'm if I'm not believing that I'm, I'm right where he wants me to make an impact in this place, to be the light of the world where he has me, if I'm not living that way, then why do I even need faith? And faith is going to sit and it's going to become idle and it's going to become not tested. We have to do challenging things. We have to be in situations that's uncomfortable. Because if we're not, then we're the people who were. Serving the God who was. He's not the God who was. He met Moses and, oh, you're the God of their fathers. No, I am. I am the God who's, who's been with them the whole time. I am the God who's leading them out of this. I am the God who's going to do miracles before you. I am the God who's going to get my people out of Egypt so that they can worship me and I'm going to give them a land. I'm not the God of the past. I'm the God of the present and the future. The second thing is, it's important to remember, he's the God that is as is. I know that sounds weird to say. I'll unpack it here a little bit. He's the God who is as is. 
we find Moses acknowledging who God was, but wanting something a little newer. He says, the God of your father sent me, but what? They're going to want a name. They're going to want something new. They're going to want something more. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. You can't change me. I am who I am. This is my name forever. The name you shall say from generation to generation. And Moses acknowledges that he's the God of their fathers, but he's looking for new info, a new revelation. God says, no, 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 I am who I am. Let me, let me give you this little cheat. If you ever hear somebody saying they have a new revelation, something brand new from the Bible, um, run. There's nothing new under the sun, and God's not suddenly changing his ways. For 2,000 years, we've been looking into the word of God and analyzing it, and there's nothing new. He is who he is. And we live in a world that wants to change him and change the Lord into who we want him to be, and that's not how he operates. He is who he is. In chapter 4, this becomes very real with a very weird part of the story. Frankly, like, people usually skip over this part when they're, when they're telling the story of Moses um, going to the Israelites and speaking before Pharaoh because this part's weird and it seems, like, out of character. We're just going to go into it. Here you go. Chapter 4, Moses was on his way back to Egypt to do the very thing God asked him to do. And in verse 24... We, we see this, this moment that if you're reading the story like a novel, it's just going to blindside you. It says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. That comes out of nowhere. You're reading the story, you're just like, Moses, Lord, you're, you just chose Moses. You're going to kill him? But Zip- Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, touched Moses' feet with it, and said, Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, Bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Again, if you're reading the story like a novel, this comes out of nowhere. Like, everything you're reading beforehand is God preparing Moses to go to Egypt and speak to Pharaoh. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, on the way, God was about to kill him. What? Like, that would throw off the whole plan, and according to my knowledge. But um, I believe this is a harsh reminder that we change on God's behalf. He doesn't change on our behalf. He just called Moses. And Moses was on the way to do the very thing God was asking. But Moses didn't change himself on the way. See, Moses was an Israelite, but he was raised as an Egyptian. And then spent 40 years in in another culture. So Moses didn't live as an Israelite, even though he was an Israelite. He was raised as an Egyptian. 
God had a covenant with the people of Israel. And the covenant made them unique. It separated them from all other people and made them his people and God their God. And it set them apart. And this coven- the sign of this covenant for the people of Israel was circumcision. And Moses, God meets Moses in the desert when he's not living among his people. And he's, he's, sending the, he's sending Moses to Egypt where he was raised to speak on behalf of a covenant people. But this is, this is what's important to see. Moses is about to go speak on the behalf of God for a covenant people without himself taking the sign for him and his family of the covenant. So, so God almost kills Moses in this moment before his wife was brilliant enough to realize, oh, we haven't done our part of the covenant. And, and this is a story that to us as Gentile Americans, it can throw us off because it seems messy, it seems bloody, it's gross, it's frankly uncomfortable to talk about, it seems weird, but all of those things are important because it reminds us that Our God is not like us. If we were the God in this story, we might have done things differently. He's not like us. He's unique. He's set apart. He's different. And he doesn't change his ways to match us. He calls us to change our ways to match him. He is who he is. I am who I am. God chose Moses as he was, but he didn't want Moses to stay that way. For us, we live in a culture that's very different from the culture that of from the kingdom of God. And in us, like, if we were to live the way that Jesus lived and the way that's prescribed in the kingdom of God, we're going to feel weird. We're going to feel like we don't fit in with the world around us, and it's because we don't. It's because he didn't call us to fit in. He's unique, he's different, he's holy, and he's calling us to be like him, which means we're not going to fit in with the world around us. Our culture says to hate your enemies. Scripture says to love your enemies, to pray for those who insult you. Jesus taught his disciples, hey, turn the other cheek. He said if somebody comes to steal your jacket, give them your coat too. If someone wants to force you to run a mile, walk too. All these things are against our culture. And even like if we were to speak about them, You'd have, you might even have other Christians saying, no, no, you're, you're just being weak. If you live like Jesus, you'll probably even have religious people tell you you're living weak. You need, to have, you need to have a backbone. You need to have a spine. But all those things, it takes a backbone and it takes a spine to live the way Jesus lives. Because it's not preferring myself. It's preferring to image our God and our King who is set apart and holy and different. Trust us, our pride's going to want us to not live like Jesus. 
The Lord says, I am who I am. The Lord's ways are going to have you feeling uncomfortable. It's going to make you feel left out. They're going to make you feel like you don't belong, and it's because you don't. Here's a real test for yourself. If you think the Lord doesn't like the same people you don't like, that's a red flag. The Lord hates all the people you hate. We're probably making him in our image instead of becoming like his image. I remember, has anybody ever prayed for your football team? <laughs> Last night. Like, God roots for the same team as me. I've been through enough pain to know that's not true. But like, if we're not careful, we'll suddenly think God has the same political party as me. He has the same everybody. He doesn't like the same people. He doesn't like that celebrity I don't like. He, he has the same views as me. And all of a sudden, we don't even realize we're making him into our image instead of becoming like him. If you're in his image, you're not going to fit in with any of them. Like, you're not going to find a neat bubble in this world that you fit into as a follower of Jesus because you don't fit into this world. You're in it, but you're not of it. He called you a royal priesthood. He called you an exile, an alien among this world. And lastly, the band can come back up. He's the God of, we're going to fill in that blank later. He's the God of, isn't it interesting, God had the chance to name himself. What name would you have went with? I'm the God of thunder. I'm the God of power. I'm the God of, he had so many cool names he could do because he's the God that can do anything. He's the God that's eternal. He was the God that's outside of time. He's the creator of everything. Um, he created the, the, the beings that others would call gods and put their faith in. And he had the power to squish them like he's the, he's the God of all. How did he choose to identify himself? It's very interesting. He said, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. And for generation to generation, you'll know me this way. Catch this. He's holy. He's set apart. He's all those things we just talked about. But he lets himself be identified by his people. Come on, Abraham was cowardly. There's times he gave away his wife so that they wouldn't kill him and take her. There's multiple times he lied about her being his sister. Isaac repeated the same sins of his father. Jacob was known by lies and deceit. And God said, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. They messed up. They, they made plenty of mistakes. But God was not ashamed to be identified by them. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I know all the things they've messed up. I'm not ashamed to tell you. I'm the God of Abraham. 
I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. Lord, don't you know Jacob in itself means deceit? I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God who redeemed them. I'm the God who's not ashamed of them. Exodus 6, verse 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Verse 7, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. See, Moses wanted more than to just know him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wanted more than a God who identified himself through his people. God said, I am who I am. From generations to generations, you'll know me this way. I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. You see, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had to become the God of Moses and Joshua. He had to become the God of the Israelites. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had to become the God of, of David. He's the God of David. He's the God of Samuel. He's the God of Rebecca. He's the God of Sarah. He's the God of Leah. Come on, Leah, the one that thought of herself as too ugly, the one that, that man didn't favor, the one that, the one that thought of herself as not good enough. God's, I'm the God of Leah. And he favored Leah even though men didn't favor Leah. He favored Leah because he's the God of Leah. He's the God of David who made all these mistakes. And he said, that's a man after my own heart. I'm the God of David. Come on, he's the God of Rahab, the prostitute. We identify her sin and her name. And he said, he's the God of Rahab. She wasn't an Israelite. He chose her and grafted her in through her faith in him. Come on, you feel on the outside of this faith? He's the God that will bring you in. Oh, I wasn't raised around that. He's the God that will bring you in. He's the God of Elijah. He's the God of Elisha. He'd become the God of Ruth, who again, another outsider, but said, you will be my people and your God will be my God. Can you make that declaration this morning? He'd become the God of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Malachi and Micah, the God of the major and the God of the minors. He'd become the God of Mary and Joseph. He'd become the God that was born in a place that was forgotten about. He'd, he'd be the God that would live poor and Isaiah even tells us there'd be nothing in, our, in his appearance that would make us desire him. And he'd be the God that would live a sinless life. And that very God who Isaiah spoke about said, he said, he'll be the one that's crushed for our iniquities. 
and bruised for our transgressions. And he'd give us very life for those who are far away can now say, he's my God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he's the God, he's my God. He's Kevin's God. Can you make that de declaration about yourself this morning? He wants, he chose to be known through you. You're about to, the holidays are coming up. We might be around some family we haven't seen. Your God has chosen to be identified through you. This is why it's a big deal. It's a big deal when we carry the name of the Lord. When we say don't take the name, name of the Lord in vain, we're not talking about that accidental cuss word that comes out when you stub your toe. We're talking about the fact that if we carry the name of the Lord, it has weight and it has expectations. And we don't take that lightly. We don't take that in vain. He wants to be identified through you. He wants to show your family and, and those around you that he loves them and he can only, he wants to do it through you. He wants to be identified to the world through you. It's a big deal. Come on, let's stand to our feet. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. Can we declare that he's the God of us? He's the God of Celebration Church. He's the God of Kevin Crowley. Come on. I, I want you to put your name, fill in the blank with your name. Let's declare that. He's the God of Come on, I heard some of you. He's the God of. He's the God of. And he's going to be identified through you. So you're not the people who was. You might have a was. You might have a life before you. But when you came to Christ, that was. Now you are free in him. We're the people who are serving the God who is. It's not stories in the past. He said, I am. He's, he's the God that redeems our past, but he's not stuck there. I think some of us, we got our hands to the plow, but we spent, we're, spending a little too, we're spending too much time looking back. He's with you now. He, he hears your cries. He knows where you're at. But he wants to use you and be identified through you now. He's the God who is. There's a story where Jesus comes to a well and he begins to speak to a woman. And they go back and forth in this about who he is and what she thinks this all means. And he reveals that he's the one, he knows about the past. Here's important for us to catch in the story when we talk about the woman at the well. She was out at a time at, in the middle of the day when women didn't go to the well. Why? Because it's the middle of the day, it's hot. It's basically Florida there. 
We don't go out at noon. You know we don't. We sit in the AC at noon. And she's there in the middle of the day because she knows the town knows her business. And she doesn't want to be... She doesn't want to face the things she's done, the choices she's made, so she's out when nobody can identify her. But after one introduction with Jesus, it's no longer about who she was and the things she did because now she's made brand new. Now, for the first time in her life, she's living in the present, and her present has hope, and her future has hope, and she goes back to the town and starts telling everybody. And they all come to see Jesus because of one woman who is living in her present and hopeful about her future and chose to make an impact where she was. They all come to him. And they spend time with him. And you know what they said? We no longer believe because you said we've seen him. We've heard him. And he's the savior of the world. He was identified through a woman that was choosing to avoid everybody because of her mistakes, but he identified to this whole town through her. I am the God of this town. I am the Savior of this world. And it was because who she was was gone forever. You are redeemed. You are set apart. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are the head and not the tail. You are anointed. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are redeemed in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. You are made new. He lives in you. Those things aren't past, they're present. And he's going to be identified to you.